Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Rock and Roll Review with Radio Keys. It would do us a huge solid if you were to subscribe to this podcast on whichever podcasting platform you choose to use, and also lend us a five-star review if you think we deserve it on iTunes or the Apple Podcasting app. This episode features the Los Angeles singer-songwriter Gold Star. Emily pouring the old vino, as she is very good at. One of your most proficient skills, perhaps. Hey, I have real skills, too. That's a really good one, though. (laughs) (laughs) Top shelf, top shelf. uh, Let's see, I did it waitressing for, like, ever, and then I did it as a wine bartender forever, and I did it as a wine educator forever. You don't even need one of those cloths that, like, all those fucking noobs have, where they, like, whoosh. Kind of you know what the, the secret is? It's real fucking simple. It's a little twist at the you end. You just twist the bottle okay, at the end yeah. when you're pouring. Because you're like reaching over white tablecloths, pouring for fancy people. You got to twist that bottle at the end, or you'll get red wine all over them. I guess they have those claws as kind of like a parachute. Maybe they're like, oh fuck, you know, because well, it's a bunch of kids doing it mostly, right? Like fancy places will use it to wipe the bottle, but then the at the wineries we use those little silver discs that you put in, and then you don't get that little drip, little drip on the table. Those are good. Those silver. I've never good. actually I've never seen those. Somebody invented them and is running. making a million dollars because they cost pennies. But yeah, oh wait, I've, no, uh, I have seen them. Are they? Yeah, on, they, they're on the thing, right? Yeah, they go okay, into yeah, yeah. the. No, I have uh, seen those. Brim and then totally they, yeah, so uh, yeah, I've been working with wine for a long, long time. So when I pour you wine, it is uh, you owe me money for it. You should Top tip me. Shelf. What am I trying to say? Top shelf, family. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I do declare. I do declare. This is the cheapest wine we could possibly have, but that's okay. Well, we are. <laughs> Out here once again we in St. Helena, California. Yeah. Stormy St. Helena, California. Yes. It was pouring rain today. So much so that a block away from us, a power line went down and the power went out, which is, I always like. But we were in South San Francisco, me and Tom with his family. Yeah, and, you, uh, you did I, a nice little thing, a nice little family trip. Little family trip. And we got yeah. I got a text uh, while we were at lunch after and it was like... St. Helena like PD, text, Saint right? Helena yeah. PD, like power lines down, you know, at you know uh, the cross street that's literally like a what stone's throw from my house. Is it, is it called Hunt? Am I crazy? I don't know where the I'm streets so are that I live, these. dude. St. Helena is so small. People yeah. will be like, I live on this street, and I'm like, I don't know where that is. Well, <laughs> like, we can't say where we live, or we're just, just gonna nod. have a bunch of crazy stalkers coming out. But anyway, us. I got this like alert, yeah, right. and I texted Stuart, and I was like. I was like, hey, FYI, like for a block away, there's like a downed power line. So avoid the area. And he writes back, going to check it out. <laughs> I was like, going to rubberneck. I was like, no, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I was like, definitely don't do that. That sounds like the most exciting thing in St. Helena. In the last- did you go check it out? No, hell no. Okay, I, uh, I did see them working on it because I drove to Santa Rosa again today and um, I saw a bunch of dudes in like those, um, you know, those bucket trucks, or whatever. The, they had the cranes and bucket trucks. That's, yeah, I'm sure what that's what they call it. I know that like, <laughs> I know those, the I know thing. what they're called genie lifts. Those ones that like are their own little, um, uh, vehicles and mm-hmm. <laughs> they like kind of go up like this. 
Like yeah. I used to work in a warehouse and we had those genie lifts all the time and they're really scary to be in. Like, you I don't was really, say they don't look safe. Yeah. Well, you don't realize how scared of heights like you could potentially be until you're in something like that where it's like kind of rickety. You know, yeah. the wind definitely they feel definitely it. Look rickety, it has its own yeah. like so- shock absorber thing in it. And uh, yeah, it's hella nerve wracking. But what can you do? I was, uh, but, uh, I was, I, I'm out of that career path. I gen- <laughs> I generally uh, really like this weather, and I think you do too. It's kind of staying in weather, mm-hmm. which can lead to creative weather. When it's nice and sunny outside, I get I get real lazy as far as I just want to sit out in the sun, maybe read or like go on walks. But when it's rainy outside, you're kind of forced to to be inside. Maybe maybe well, you nice, can pick up a guitar. A nice can of chili for lunch. That's what it made that's me want to so do. Comforting. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, it made me want to so do. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. It was like the kind of chili I used to eat when I was a kid, like that Denison's chili. Super shitty, but it was like on sale. So much salt. In no, there. so much salt. But you know, it's kind of comforting in its own nostalgic kind of way, like when you used to eat that all the time when you were a kid and then you don't have it for like five years. It's like having mac and cheese. Yeah, totally. It's, it's like that feeling. blue box mac it's and awesome. cheese. Yeah. yeah, with the little shapes or just the noodles, whatever. Yeah. But you went boat. to you went to Berkeley today, right? You were all yes, over the place. Yes, we were at lunch in Berkeley and it's it's uh, it was honestly a nightmare drive. It was torrential downpour and I was driving about 45 miles an hour and every, with traffic. Everybody was going about 45 on like 680. It was... It's boring. It was just a nightmare trip. But um, yeah, Tom and I were listening to uh to Gold Star the entire nice. time. Yeah. Uh, and it's that's a lot because we <laughs> took us about two and a half hours to get there and about two and a half hours to get back. Um, and uh, yeah, it's he's got I think three three and a half I'll say albums. Yeah, it on, seems like he has on like the a website demo. Maybe maybe it was when he was first dipping his toes in music because we watched that one interview with him. I can't forgive me. I can't remember the name of the people who were interviewing him but they were british no the one before that the one (laughs) where the (laughs) the guy was just like you know like where are you from what do you play oh the robot (laughs) yeah yeah the robot guy and um no no shade but kind of shade um so he was rough to watch (laughs) as an artist i'm always like god i kind of want an interviewer that i feel like it's a conversation that's that's all i'll say that's the beauty of podcast not just podcasting right like yeah that's why uh when you listen to certain artists on podcasts it like you really feel like you get a, a like a better look into their their psyche and their soul and who right. they are damn it what was i gonna say about that interviewer guy oh um, shit was anyone listening to me anyone <laughs> <laughs> i was let's see oh his uh three albums and oh, yeah, ep because yeah. uh gold star his name let me pull it up because that's not his real name he, it is marlin yeah. and i'm gonna say this right rabin rider Raven Rither. Raven Rither. He said it really fast. I tried to listen to Marlon say it because I'm like, <laughs> you're gonna say your last name correctly, and I, he st- he kind of said it fast, but I think it was like I heard like Ray Ban, like the sunglasses, and yeah, Rye, like Rye Rither. bread, and then Sir, right, like Thursday. So Marlon Rither. Raven Rither is basically a solo project and the solo project's name is gold star so i'm Correct. probably just going to call him gold star from here we're going to refer to him as either yeah. marlin or gold star depending on which quote i'm looking at um and uh he's austria born la bred yeah. and raised and then he spent some time in uh so london and new york and but so he's yeah, back in this, la now he's half album yeah. we were talking about we were watching him in this interview and they asked him how long he'd been writing songs and he said he was experimenting for a while, but he kind of like started seriously doing it quote five years ago. And that, I think that interview was in like 2018 or late 17, something like that. And it seemed as if he said five years before that. So doing the math, it's like 2012, 2013, but his like 
debut self-titled Gold Star album, which is really good still. Yeah, came out in 2012. So it's all I find really it a little hard to believe that he has only been quote seriously writing songs for you know since 2012, 13 when well, like he released a really sophisticated like great. EP yeah. at, in like 2012. Well, he was, I found this out today. I've been listening to him for a while and uh, found out today when we were kind of digging deep trying to research into him a little bit that he's actually the lead singer of a punk band too. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that too. So maybe he's talking about he was doing that and then when he went solo, he maybe thought, I don't know, maybe. So, so it's CG Roxanne and the Nightmares is the name of his punk Ooh, band. Uh, yes, like, CG Roxanne like, and the Nightmares. And it, they're good. Admittedly, like. For punk, they're good. Yeah, admittedly, I, I don't really punk know. rock is not my genre that I'm any kind of an expert at. But they do sound, they do sound like classic 70s punk rock, like Ramon style punk rock, like kind of like that. Yeah, it's. And he he says uh, his his words. He said I've heard him or seen him talking about it in some interviews. And he says people people like it because it's a lot of fun compared to his solo stuff. And they asked him too. They're like, do you feel like you're like a different person with that band? And he's like, no, it's still me playing songs that I write. Like it's still it's just a different sort of medium for it. <laughs> what he's kind like, of fucking question is that? <laughs> I know it's like oh, so are you like, like this Jekyll and Hyde fucker with this crazy well, bipolar people, brain? I guess people maybe non-musical people, I don't know who would look at that and be like, oh, he's writing punk rock. Yeah. And then he's writing what we're going to play, which is more like Bob Dylan, singer, songwriter, Neil Young type stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, people can't wrap their head around like, oh, one must be a persona. It's like, he's, no, 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 yeah. it's all. He's like, yeah, totally. I'm a complete charlatan in one persona yeah. and I'm, you know, authentic in the other. It doesn't make Look any sense. Like people can be multifaceted. Picasso. Yeah, <laughs> Look at that guy. Well, he, he did every single genre. Yeah. Look at the fucking Beatles. Yeah. Look at, I mean, there's a lot We've of never artists. talked about them on this podcast before. <laughs> Who? <laughs> we never talk about the Beatles. Well, I mean. No, but it's true. Like Mar- you, you yeah. can play different uh genres of music and still have it be your authentic like what yeah. you know what's coming out of your brain so so yeah he can he can play in both those worlds and i mean and make there's it like really the black work. keys when they do black rock where they have like a bunch of rappers I come on it's not like stuff. yeah it's not like all of a sudden the black keys are Is like this being a different persona? yeah <laughs> are you pretending to be a, a black rapper right now <laughs> yeah. mr dan Auerbach? No, he's like just, no dude i'm just playing guitar and it's a it's a new avenue and it's exciting to do that yeah my dream is to sing a hip-hop but, hook i want know, somebody to ask me to do one it day. <laughs> well I've when i get into two. my alternate persona of <laughs> Stuart yeah. the rapper then we'll do it it's so, gonna happen to, i want to redeem that that uh, person a little bit her name was jenna putnam and she was in i think the publication is called made that's what it was online and is she, that the same interview yeah, the same interview, okay. but she had a really... Because that was a good interview. Yeah, she had a really great quote in it, because she then started talking about his solo project, which is the one we're talking about, Gold Star, and she said, his songs felt like a road trip across America in a dusty car with a lover who was beautiful, yet batshit crazy. And, yeah. And it like totally does sound <laughs> like that. I'm like, damn it, that's the kind of hot take that we need on this podcast. Dude, yeah. We need to hit that more, and he, it's it's well I I, th- I try to think about it I try to give myself credit because I'll listen back to these sometimes and be like God I wish I'd said that a little more eloquently or come up with the right word it's hard when you're podcasting because we're just having a conversation it's going to go in different directions that we're not planning yeah. but when you write an article about a musician you can sit and think about oh, it a little fair. more so I'll try to give us credit right. but it is really hard to cred. like capture you know what you're you know what genre you're yeah. trying to patch them into but I've I, yeah I've read some of these uh, writers that are just nailing it for him and it's it's really cool. I want to know what's so funny. As I was listening to um, that really great uh, Chris Shiflet podcast, uh, Walking the Floor. 
Great it's a really podcast. great podcast. And he has great like a guests. Oh my gosh. Great guests. And I listened to the early Sturgill Simpson one from 2015. He interviews Sturge? Yeah, from 2000. Because I listened to the Joe Rogan ones from like, I think 2016 was it? And 2017, he went on Rogan twice. And right. they're good. They're really good. But this one was a little shorter. And honestly, Sturgill sounded burned out as fuck. Aww. Like he sounded so Just bummed out and like so honestly bummed out. Like he was pissed. <laughs> it was so funny. He gets really pissed at he like was country pissed. music. Yes. Yeah. And this was and right CMAs when that and beef shit. started. Yeah. All, all right. We'll lay it out just because this is something that I, it, it's like, you know, soap opera for musicians. Like, so basically. And if you haven't heard Sturgill Simpson, yeah, he's yeah, new outlaw out. country. L- literal outlaw because yeah. he's like fuck the CMAs, yeah. fuck all this shit. So let me writing, let me like, lay it great, out. Like, but yeah, so listen to him. Basically, what happened was he moved to Nashville with the hopes of becoming like a really you know big singer songwriter. He basically was in the Navy, you know, working on the railroad literally <laughs> for yeah. like years and years. And when he was like thirty five or thirty six, he was like fuck it, I'm gonna try to do this music thing. Moves to Nashville, right? And um. He just is like an overnight sensation, you know, and it, it, like we said, really yeah, good. it comes. I mean, he's been working on it for 20 years, but he's a quote overnight sensation. But to him, he's like, yeah, but Nashville doesn't give a fuck about me, basically. And then he's like, he can't be ignored. Like, he's such a powerful force in actual country music that like he just can't be ignored. And um, he's still being ignored by Nashville. And then they give out right after. Merle Haggard dies and Merle Haggard has always been against the country music establishment in the eyes of Sturgill. At Merle least. Haggard sounds a lot like, or sorry, Sturgill yeah. Simpson sounds a lot like Merle yeah. Haggard voice wise. Yeah. Um, just ironically. So they gave, so then the CMAs gave out like the Merle Haggard something or other oh, award fuck that. to that's, that's Miranda pandering. Lambert. <laughs> And like, not that there, I'm not trying to like I've talk shit it. on I'm Miranda Lambert, to, yeah, I don't, I don't but know. like, but yeah, I don't think that Merle Haggard would be down with the establishment that he like didn't get along with and like wasn't. I think it's like, what is it like? I can't remember the name of the anyway, country music in Nashville. And so basically Sturgill went on this tirade online against the Merle Haggard award and thought that it was like really lame. Well, it's kind of take, is it taking somebody's death and then oh, trying to like, he was like yeah. market it in this way? Like yeah. country music is, he you was, know, the CMAs said, are all about him. And it's like, I wish no, I had the he quote wasn't in front of me, you. But to paraphrase, he said, he thinks that it was disgusting that they were hitching their wagon to his name basically. Well, yeah. So he was like, I don't give a fuck if you guys blacklist me. Um, go ahead. Because my album's going to be rated number one. Jason Isbell's album is going to be coming out number one. And so we're all our next albums, too. Yeah. Just coming in hot, hot on the wow. CMA. And then, he, and then he hasn't shown up to the right. CMAs since then. So Well, he famously busked outside of the yeah. CMAs with like yeah. a fucking acoustic guitar. And it's super funny. You can look up the videos online. Anyway, damn, I can't remember how we got on the Sturgill kick. It was definitely but, uh, a kick. Um, let's, uh, let's go right into Gold Star and so we can start talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I want to... Uh, I want to say, first of all, like Gold Star claims that he's super influenced by the two groups, which he like firmly was believing and saying that you can branch out to almost any type of modern music if you just go from the roots of these two artists. And he was, you know, saying the Beatles and the Velvet Underground, which Beatles was really interesting. And the to Velvet me. Underground, you hear so much. And then uh, he also names 
Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen, the Beach Boys, Nirvana, Lead Belly. I've pulled all these names from the interviews. Um, and what's funny is when Tom and I were listening to him on the way up, he played one song off uh, Big Blue, an album we're going to play. Um, and Tom was like, this drum guitar reminds me so much of Neil Young out of nowhere. Mm. Every, every once in a while, Tom will say something so profound that I just have to be like, wow. <laughs> Who did I marry? Yes, you nailed it. Um, yeah, he's just, he's got a good sense for that. Um, but the first song I want to play is just like this really exciting um, fucking rock and roll tune. You know, want to know what we're doing Danny's in Love, We're right? doing All Danny's right. in Love for so, Switches, his, off his most recent album, which is exciting. Kind of what it sounds like to me almost is like uh it almost it almost has like a Brian Adams like type feel to it like the singer songwriter but like still kind of has like a little bit of an oasis vibe to it and yeah. uh, he's very it seems that he's very eclectic too cuz he's come he's come out with three albums in the last 3 years I think um it's uh let's, 2018 I'll name them real 17 quick. and 15 so 4 years 15 17 18 yeah so yeah. Four, and three this, albums uh, in 4 years is still really impressive it's really impressive, yeah. especially since they're they're relatively beefy albums. They're like between 12, 13 songs per album, I'd say. And um, and they're all, there's no, we talked about cutting the fat in albums before. It's like, there's yeah. no fat. They're, no. Like, I listen to these albums all the way through and I'm just like. Every these single are all album. Comp- every one. Every one. They're all complex, really um, well, like put together songs. They really like showcase that he's such a sophisticated songwriter. Um and yeah, so the first song we're going to play is uh, is kind of the first song I would play to somebody that I wanted to show him. Yeah. Um, just because it's, it's one of the articles that I, I can't remember which one described it as a running towards the sun type of song. Yeah. Like it's just a, it's like upbeat. It's happy. It's like good news. It's kind of a celebration. It's like mm-hmm. a, it's like the, the sun after the storm and you can yeah. hear it in the lyrics and I want to dive into the lyrics after that. we play it. But yeah. it's, it's a very like feel good. Like this is your like, yeah, like that Jay Roddy it. song, like driving in the car, like yeah. screaming to it. Let's like, get into it. Um, yeah, let's so get into it. This one's uh Danny's in love off of his album, uppers and downers released in 2018.
Love that. Love the energy in that song, dude. And it's uh, his voice has like this weird effect on it that just makes it so prominent and so booming and so cool. Yeah. Like it, I don't know what it is. Maybe he doubles it or they double it and then add some kind of reverb to it. I, I was trying to figure it out, but you know, it's just it's one of those things. There's like this subreddit on on Reddit where you can like plug in uh certain recordings mm -hmm. and you're like what how are they doing this and like sometimes people will come back and tell you like pretty much how they do it which is pretty cool i'd love to do that with with this album because yeah. there's so many good sounds on it yeah it's um i love it's uh we were listening to it earlier and it's it's got um it's got a lot of cool structure. It's got the verses and then it's got the pre-chorus and then a verse and then another pre-chorus with completely different lyrics. The, I was dying on the painted stairs. Uh, and then it goes into the sort of chorus of like Danny's in love and then that bridge. And then I heard that Danny's in love at the end. It just, it's just, there's so many changes um, that make it this really kind of dynamic, interesting song. Um, and it's, it's a celebration, I think. And it's, uh, so it's about... His his lady love. It's about Aww. his girlfriend, and I, I actually have yeah. So I I heard that song, and I was like, this is such a good like feel good song. What is this about? And it's 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 burst from a place of real happiness and love, and it's um. So I'll quote him. Uh, there's a consequence of sounds article, and he's talking about this song, and uh, he says the Danny and Danny's in love refers to my girlfriend Danny. Uh, the song was written over a few weeks stretch. It's about a dark period in my life when we were together and one night specifically where she quite literally saved my life. The song is a fairly autobiographical rundown of that time and she's helped me in more ways than she'll ever know. And then he says, there's a lyric in that song that goes, my friends gave me good advice. They said I should save my life. And that line in particular is about my friend Carlos. He had gone through some similar experiences. He gave me solid advice and told me I had I had something good going with Danny and not to throw it all away. So it's a love song. It's Aww. such a love song. Yeah, it's like a genuine when he's talking great about, love song. When he's talking about that really dark place that he's been in his life, like yeah. and I, that's kind of what on so on the front of this album it's called Uppers and Downers. And of course you think drugs, right? Like that's what we were <laughs> we were not, thinking. Not necessarily the first thing that I thought Uppers and Downers? Uppers and Downers. I guess that's <laughs> literally yeah. drugs. Like and uh, that's what I was thinking. There are a few references to uppers and downers in this, uh, in lyrically throughout the album. But he also said in one of the interviews that it has more to do with emotional ups and downs. And, and, and men, me, uh, I don't want to say state. mental. Not yeah, mental, mental health. I don't want to say mental so health. Not so much mental but like, health, but he did say like. Um, but now that it's coming clear that he's like, yeah, I was like literally, you know, in this dark, I was dark dying place, on the painted and stairs. it's like this, you know. Yeah. Yeah down low you know and so maybe that's part of this like you know manic depressive bipolar uppers and downers attitude because that's kind of the theme in this album he said is like there's some songs that are like really low energy and like kind of a bummer in a yeah. in a good way you know like songs can be bummers in a good way they don't have to all be like yeah. this and then there's songs like this on the album that are like uppers and downers just so powerfully uplifting and you need that balance and it's it's fun to think of uh because like you said uppers and downers we think of like uppers I guess drugs and downers um, in the same vein. And it's like, if you can think about songs the same way as well, there's upper songs and downer songs. And uh, depending on what mood you and you, you're in, you might kind of uh, medicate yourself with an upper song or a downer song. <laughs> Although I don't know about you, but when I'm happy, I listen to happy shit. When I'm sad, I listen to sad shit. Like oh, I, I, never avoid, I avoid <laughs> I never sad shit. Up. When I listen to sad oh, shit when I'm sad, it. it's like a I double whammy. It. It's like getting kicked when you're down. <laughs> 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 no, it's, um, 
I don't know. I I like he talks about because his first couple albums, you'll notice a difference. Um, Uppers and Downers has a little more of the up and upbeat like we heard, like that rock and roll. Yeah. And his earlier albums are a lot of like him with an acoustic guitar and a harmonica and it's slower tempos. And it's 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 more about you could, I guess, say maybe more sad or emotional or slower songs. Um, poignant. Sort of Let's go with poignant. poignant. Like yeah. focusing on lyrics, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And uh, someone asked him about it in one of the interviews and he's just like, he's just like, they're like, why do you gravitate towards these sad songs? And he's like, I, I, I'm not trying. He said somewhere along the lines of like, I'm not trying to write sad yeah. songs. These are just the songs that I'm coming up with. Which is which is any songwriter that's when a, you're like, why like do you write sad songs? Why do you shit? write? Yeah, it's like, why <laughs> do you write this type of song? It's like I I'm just writing songs. Stuart, Emily, why do you guys <laughs> sing about drinking all the time? We're like, fuck, <laughs> you got us. You know what's cool about that last song too is. Uh, he has the line, I was dying on the painted stairs in a way I thought no one cared. I, I just thought that was purely poetic. And then someone asked him about it and he's like, yeah, I, uh, I was living in a neighborhood with, uh, this photographer and, uh, she has this dark red painted stair pathway in the front of her house. And it's like he would kind of hang out there, or drink there, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like a literal metaphor. And I was like, oh, that's interesting too. I think he said that he writes a lot from his real life. He was like, oh yeah. Like he was talking about, um, like just random people he meets and like their little stories about their little neighborhoods and stuff like that. He said yeah. he'd write about because it's honest and it's true. Yeah. And that that's a cool perspective to write from. Um, the so the only like not the only thing, but one of the things that stood out the most to me to the about the instrumentation of that song yeah was there's like a very steady like straight eight pulse to it da, 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 da. and then it has like yeah. these accents to it that are really cool and in those accents like occasionally he'll, he'll do that like pete towns and strum where it's like da, da, dun, da, 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 dun. and it just gives it like this great energy yeah. like rock and roll slash punk rock like kind of feel to it which I thought was was pretty rad. Yeah, because I'm a big Pete Townsend fan. Yeah, and he does a little these little drop offs in verses that are I always like gravitate towards that change. So he'll do like the I'm getting tired, I'm getting tired of like he's changing the melody of not only uh, him singing the vocal melody, but also like the drums will drop out or kick in a little earlier or something like that. And yeah, I wish I could explain it better. But yeah, it's it's just those special parts of a song where it's not this basic run of the mill. It's like you map your song out and then it's sort of stuck in there. You can play, you can play around with the verses and you can play yeah. around with the chorus. And he, I love when like he has two pre-choruses leading up and they're, he, they're the same melody. It's the, I was dying on the pain and stairs part. Um, but he changes the lyrics the second time around and just rewrites a whole new part, um, that ties it into her. And it's like, and then it ends with the same line and it's like, that's, uh, and the last line that it has in common is, uh, uh, they all, the first one is they all said, I should save my life. And then I think the second one is, and she saved my life or something like that. Yeah. So he cut, he's telling this whole story. And like, I, I just love, I mean, songwriting should be storytelling, and I, I love when it's when it's really thought out like that, and it kind of has this beginning, middle, and then this celebration in the chorus, and like, yeah, it's it's just really well put together. He's so, I mean, we've said this word already a bunch of times, but he's very sophisticated. Like that's why I was trying to say I was like, I find it hard to believe that he was just writing songs five years ago. No, because, I think he's been writing songs. Yeah, a it lot. has to. Be, it has to be that he's been writing songs for a long time because, like, if he was literally only writing songs for five years, and then that right. album came out, not this 
this album, but then the album that he had in 2012, like came out when he just started writing, he'd be like, it, he'd be a prodigy. Like there's no other way yeah. to put it. Well, he'd he was, just be... so, um, he was, uh, I, I couldn't find people ask him when he started playing music a bunch of times and he, he doesn't really pin down an age, uh, yeah. but he does say that both of his parents were musicians. Yeah. So that's huge. Um, Maybe it so was he's like, like ubiquitous it was, in his it was life, in his house. Like, can you yeah. imagine like me and Tom are both musicians. I, I always, we're not to make this about us, but like, we're not planning on having kids, but if we did, I'm always like, man, it's cool to think of two One musicians day, having maybe. a kid. It's cool to think of like, so this is his life. So he's got, his two parents are both musicians. I can imagine there has to be a lot of like, Hey, you know, Marlon, try play some piano, play some guitar. Like he must, it's, he's it in it all yeah, the time. So, so whether or not, so for him to be such a sophisticated songwriter by his first album, let's be honest, yeah. like by his first album, even that EP, the self-titled, I'm going to call it an EP. I don't know. The gold star self-titled, uh, it's like less than 10 songs. Um, and it's like, yeah, maybe I'm sure he, he has been playing music for so long. Yeah. That he does have a little bit of almost a step ahead. Um, I think he has to. And he did his he did his work, obviously. But like a lot of us found music in our teens or something like that. But if you're growing up with it, you really have a, yeah. a and and this incredible yeah. sense of it in your brain because you're hearing people play music all the time. Yeah, and I'm not this trying is my to, fantasy. Yeah, of it. and I'm I don't not trying. Know you know, I'm not really sitting like, here trying to be like that guy who's like bullshit. You know, I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just trying to say like. His song, like we've said multiple times, his songwriting is so advanced and so sophisticated that it's just like, it's almost like a detriment to songwriters like us who've been writing songs for, you know, 15 years. Yeah. When we're like, fuck, really? This guy's been writing songs for like four or five years and he's already like putting out these incredible albums and like being compared to, you know, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Brian Adams, Oasis. Um, to but me, it sounds also- like, uh, Sorry, he, it sounds like he felt like, straight from the Jeff Tweedy like Wilco tree and the, dude I think that's why we brought up Sturgill Simpson because he was talking about like how people while well, you think that you sound like someone and you're like a group of these influences right like other people will put will like identify you with a different artist like for Sturgill it's Waylon Jennings he's like everyone tells him he sounds like Waylon and then for for um Marlon funny not Waylon Marlon um gold star <laughs> It sounds to me like he he sounds so much like Jeff Tweedy and he sounds so much like Wilco and he sounds a little bit like Brian Adams slash Oasis to me. Like those are the three. I get a lot of Neil Young. Like Not vocally, but uh, I would put my bottom style. dollar that he was like a Jeff Tweedy disciple, Brian Adams disciple. He but might be, it, yeah. it, he doesn't even mention them like at yeah. all. So there you go. Just say maybe it's just me like superimposing this image on him, wanting him to be that guy you know but maybe he's i mean i think he is but maybe that's not what he ever wanted to be i think so yeah and i think um i think also he he writes when it comes to like i think he's written hundreds of songs he's talked about like going through his songs and kind of discovering what's what's useful and what's not and if you have all that time like like he did with his childhood um uh, to sort of craft um, your songs. I, I, um, one thing that I thought was interesting about him is that he um, was a art school dropout. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So he went to London to do painting, to study painting in uh, college. I can't remember which one. And uh, he's an art school. And he, he said uh, 
he said I was using all my free time instead of painting I was working on music because music kept me up at night it's like what was mm-hmm. like kind of like more exciting to me um and uh and he, he compares it to painting a lot and I compare songwriting to painting a lot because I also do both and uh he says one thing that our dad says a lot and it's like, and he says when it comes to songwriting, you, he's like, I approach it every time completely new to it. Basically. I think I have, he says, uh, let's see. He says, um, songs are interesting because each one is entirely a new riddle an entirely new problem to solve in the sense that though I've written hundreds of songs, I have to relearn how to do it every single time. And if I don't approach it like that, it gets repetitious and it gets dishonest. The spark that drives each song is always going to be different. So I try to make my reaction unique. Mm -hmm. Um, each song is a distinct mystery. Um, and there's no method. It's a great fascinating fucking mystery. That's his quote. (laughs) Um, and I've, he, compares that to painting too. Our dad has said that about painting. He's like, him and I have talked about painting. He's like, every time I fucking stretch a canvas and start something, I'm like, how the fuck do I do this? Like, you're not completely ignorant, but you just kind of are like, it, it just feels new every time. And I think you kind of have to feel that in a way. Um, well, it's easy to get stuck in ruts in the same routine too. And right. I think that's what he was talking about. Dishonesty, because I know, I mean, for me, when I'm songwriting, there's definitely a lot of like everyone, like when you're painting, and I'm so bad at painting. So excuse me if this isn't a good metaphor no, at all. You're fine. It's a, but yeah. you know your abilities reach a certain point, right? And then you're right. like, I probably shouldn't attempt to do that because it's probably beyond my physical abilities to do. Or mm-hmm. would you just keep pushing on and trying to well, do what's, it? Well, what's fun about painting, and I actually feel the same way about songwriting. And for me still, mm, uh, guitar playing is still pretty... Uh, I still feel pretty limited with it. Yeah. With singing, I feel less, a lot less limited. With songwriting, I feel a lot less limited. But songwriting and painting are the same. And where I can, I can start a painting. Maybe it's, it's still life. Usually, it's a portrait. I do a lot of portraits, and I have an idea in my head, and it's gonna come out. And the thing about painting is it's a phys- it's a physical act, just just like guitar playing. And you might be able to relate to this, like if you hear a solo in your head and you try to play it. Like if I see so- an image in my head and I try to paint it, it's mm-hmm. going to come out how it's going to come out. And like honestly, yeah, a lot of the time I'll do a face and be like, well, that's not what I was trying yeah. to do, but it looks interesting to me, and it came out of my hands and my brain, and I like that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes when you're writing a song, you almost feel like there's a cage made up of your abilities around you. Does that make sense at all? Ah, okay. There's a cage of your abilities around you. So you're constantly working. You're right. Same with painting. You're constantly working to push push the cage out. So you have more space to work with. Exactly. And maybe in this corner, you have a bag of tricks that you can work with. And maybe in this corner you have a bag of tricks that you can work with, but you're always looking to add to that bag of tricks in in your song. And the th- that's the thing about like physical painting and guitar soloing and that sort of stuff. But when it comes to songwriting, it's the cage is much larger. You you're can right. work with you because there are almost infinite things you can do within right. that within the construct of songwriting right? because it's not necessarily your physical capabilities. It's your mental capabilities and your imagination, which is a lot bigger than what your hands can. I agree, but I'll give you this and it, and they, this is a, they're good metaphors because so when it comes to painting and when it comes to, um, songwriting, um, so two things, if I want to paint this really cool, 
image of like a nude woman walking down a street or whatever. This was one of dad's ideas. And he gave me this crazy idea and it was very visual. And I was like, I'm I, listening. I was like, well, or like <laughs> if you want to do any, like if you want to create a visual and you have it in your head, yeah, your imagination can go crazy, but I'm caged in by what I can mm-hmm. physically paint. Like I can't paint a woman and a big group of I probably can but anyway like I I know what I can physically do with my hand to canvas um and it is a little similar when I sit there and write a song in my head and I do know a little bit more uh musically intuitively where I can sing different parts and it's in the right it's in the right key it's in the right notes and it has the right changes um but if when you're just starting out and you have a guitar and you know you know c g d it it is your physical ability does kind of limit your songwriting so once that well that's a lot a big reason why I went to music school because I felt like I was like yeah that's why I almost went to art I felt like I was blind or like in a pitch black room trying to find a doorknob whenever I was trying to find that n- that's how I still feel when I write so like when I was trying to hit, find that next chord change I yeah. felt like I was in the pitch black trying to find a doorknob and I was like how about a minor nope that's not what I heard in my head how about a seven <laughs> no that's not what I heard yeah. and so I just like cycle through chords and I was like you know what I, I want, want to hear something in my head and be able and to know, know what, what it is, is and yeah. play it and then, so that's why I, t- I went to music school. Well, I didn't go to music school. I got a music degree at UCSB, which isn't technically a, uh, quote, music school. But it, I mean... I think they have a really they have good a music decent, program. They have though. a decent music program. Better I definitely had Berkeley people now, be yeah. like, oh, ho, 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 you know, like chortle through their jowls at me about it. But whatever. I, you know, it's it's funny. I was very humbled by the... I took a, I took like choir in high school, but I never really took like a serious, I took band, but I never really took, I kind of learned how to read music, but I never really learned like music theory. And then I took a class at UC Berkeley. I was an art history major and I was like, oh, I'm going to take like a, like a fun, easy class. <laughs> so I took fucking, uh, everyone thinks, man. <laughs> I took a uh, music one or whatever. And it was, uh, it was uh sight singing. Yeah, that's Fuck, not easy. Dude. Not easy. I was like, well, I looked at it and I was like reading the description. I'm like, okay, I'm a singer. I think I can look at notes and sing them and blah, blah, blah. It was the hardest class I've like ever taken. Like, it, cause it's, it's, yeah, you, you have no reference. You're looking at this piece of paper and, and any music, like professional musician will hear this and laugh and be like, no, it's easy. But honestly, if you're not trained, it's They're really hard. Because for sure it wasn't easy when they were in music one. And if it was, then you know what? cool dude there there's well, your a plus I, like move on yeah but. i was with a bunch of uc berkeley kids that like music was their fucking thing and that yeah. was their major and so they were just like nailing it and then i was getting up there and being like oh <laughs> just well, like well honestly being, like, like embarrassing myself and it was honestly like that my serious five class. minutes on stage that yeah. they're doing that and when i say on stage i mean in front of the class that they're doing that is is built up of hours and hours and hours of oh, them they're, practicing. They're it. so much more trained. So than they're me. not necessarily like, sightseeing. Yeah. They knew that they were like studying a major scale, and they practiced like. It's like if I went to France and took English one, <laughs> and was like, <laughs> I already speak this language. Why, why are you guys so bad at this? I'm the best. Like it's yeah, it's 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 a lot of that. So I um. Well, I took I Italian a and lot. I was terrible. I learned a lot in that class, but um. Yeah, we got kind of off. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think we were talking about art let's, and music. Let's get into this next song yeah. um, because we're we're already freaking like two thirds through here. So yes. let's get through. Let's get to this next song. Yeah. So this next song um, is uh, off my personal favorite album of his. Uh, oh, Big Blue, right? Big Blue. Yeah. Um, 20, his 2017 album. Um, 
it's gonna be a different vibe than the last song we just heard which is off his most recent um i think it's it's mostly more him uh acoustic guitar uh harmonica uh vocals a little bit of drums and and it's recorded uh so the album's called big blue based on the home that he lived in that they called big and it's blue. a throwback to the band's big pink yes yeah yeah and he does live in a bit there's a video of him in his house in la and it's this big blue house under a freeway and so they think he still lives there i don't know i hope so god that must be a nightmare to record in it under a freeway well they <laughs> recorded this whole album no. in it, and it, i was shocked to hear that because really? I, I like watched the video and i'm like wow they're just like in la i thought they yeah. were recording at like that valentine's no, studio were, or whatever i think uppers and downers but big blue was recorded oh, okay. in in that blue house and there's kind of a blue theme throughout the album um but this song is called sunny's blues um which is the same name as a james baldwin short story i learned tonight um that i hadn't read before i've read james baldwin but i hadn't read this particular story you're blowing my mind right now and uh <laughs> continue so yeah so sunny's blues um so he uh he says yeah there's a short story called sunny's blues that baldwin wrote and one of my friends had gotten me into him um i got into james baldwin in college i i just bought giovanni's room it's like about this like gay couple in like 1950s paris by the way so just um yeah keep going. And it, i have i have nothing to like black gay activist um and i would say the mostly the 1950s yeah, and he did uh, he did he wrote the fire next time um he wrote tell me how long the train's been gone he wrote if beale street could talk that rings a bell well because they just made a movie okay okay okay. um it's he's just a heartbreak writer and once you get into him you just binge him but so i hadn't read sunny's blues it's a super short story so i started reading it about two hours ago and i kind of had to skim it because we were about to record but um it's basically um so let me finish uh, Goldstar's quote. So he says, um, so that his friend got him into that Baldwin short story and he said, I'd written a song not so much with the Baldwin story in mind, but she was kind of adamant that it was an interesting subject to the song. And I like that. It's not literal connection by any means, but it's kind of a feeling. And when you compare them, they are similar because I was reading the uh, James Baldwin short story, Sonny's Blues, and it's about a guy and his little brother is named Sonny and he gets arrested for heroin and um Typical. and they all think he's sort of a ne'er-do-well and uh he he come he gets out of jail and uh the narrator his brother is uh, a teacher and he's staying in and out of his house and he's uh sunny is like playing jazz like in greenwich village and is like this is my thing and his family is like he's just like doing drugs in <laughs> greenwich village or he's like going the, downhill this is like the 1950s, 50s you said okay yeah. um and then uh so and this then is like he the finally, Miles Davis era. Yeah, yeah. And then he finally convinced and they like fight it. It's very tumultuous because, you know, the teacher brother, Sorry, the narrator is like is like, you need to get your shit together. You're just like doing heroin and playing jazz, you know, down in the village. That's not, you know, what are you gonna do? Um, so then finally the Sonny convinces uh the uh, narrator to come down and see him play piano and he plays on stage and like everybody in this like Greenwich Village scene like loves Sonny and he like makes this great performance and it's kind of like a comeback and like and the narrator's like moved and he's like oh this is how this is saving him from whether it be heroin or like his what like this is his like Sonny's definitely the heroin though yeah no he's arrested for it in the oh, beginning of the story oh, oh, sorry I th- I yeah thought was and the narrator guy. is like so they he oh, okay. kind of thinks of like this greenwich village like music scene as like 
a bad influence on him and yeah. then he goes and he sees him play and he's like oh this is saving him so that's Sonny's Blues and like I I, I skimmed it Does I like read the beginning middle end it is kind of a happy ending oh, yeah because he's God. like seeing him play and they like he buys him a drink and they kind of have like a moment um, so yeah read James Baldwin um, but yeah so I, I had no idea I've listened to this song a million times and it's it's um it's uh he talks about being sort of in gold star talks about being inspired by his friends or like stories that they have and i think that that's the connection he was making but it has that underlying theme uh that baldwin is kind of expressing that's like music can be a savior music can be your savior i'm probably getting a little too deep but... all right no no screw that <laughs> that's, that's so good that we just have to go right into it after that. let's go into it let's <laughs> go into that it. was really good i loved every bit oh, of that good. all right so this is sunny's blues and it's off of uh gold stars album big blue coming out in 2017 Think the action gone to my head I brushed it off slacks on a set and a track to get it out of my head every night like a setting sun I set it up like I just begun I got Out of my head, it's all right, just like some said. I felt sunlight shining right between my eyes, and I've seen.
And we're back. <laughs> I That song is, it's strikingly different from the last one. Um, but again, we talked about how he can sort of play in different genres and always sound consistent to himself and then also authentic. And, doesn't, uh, it doesn't sound so much out of his genre from no, the other it song. Um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely sounds authentic. And it yeah. and the, the blend of instruments is really pleasing. To me, he has like a super strong um, uh, Vines-like vocal quality in that album or in that oh, song. Oh yeah, when I first heard him, he yeah. reminded me of the Vines guy uh, for sure. Um, Craig Nichols is his name from oh, the yeah. Vines. Uh, Craig Nichols. Yeah. Who is one of our, one of my main influences was the Vines when I was growing up. So yeah. maybe that's why I like gold really star so much because like, he just yeah. has like like the same the same way he like holds out notes it almost has like the same quality and he has great harmonies i don't think he has quite as like it, like when the vi- when craig nichols like doug's harmonies they're always like these crazy three four part harmonies that are all craig and with gold star it's a little more subtle than that but i mean it's like the way that he holds out notes or something his vocal quality is very similar yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, I always do this shit where I compare artists to other artists. No, I, you know, it brings us into a good, um, I like, uh, so he, he mentions a lot of, uh, influences that are definitely apparent, like the Beatles, the Velvet Underground, Neil Young. Um, he, he cites John Lennon a lot. Just when people say songwriter, he cites mm. John Lennon, uh, specifically in the Beatles. Um, and then he, he says something, um, he's talking about being sort of in the dialogue with songwriters that he really admires. And he, he says something that I really like, um, I know I quote a lot, but I, I, I want to get his right quote. Um, he says at the end of the day, everyone you look up to was just being honest and they remain true to their own voice. You can't reach other people unless you can reach into yourself and channel those personal experiences. If you can do it for yourself with honesty, chances will, it will resonate for, uh, with other people, the smallest, most intimate gesture will be the one that has the largest audience and reach. Uh, it took me a long time to understand that. And I like how, because he's saying at the end of the day, all your heroes were just writing songs honestly. Yeah. Like they weren't trying, Bob Dylan wasn't trying to sound like folk Bob Dylan songwriter. You know, the Beatles weren't trying, like, like they're not trying well, the to Beatles do this thing. It's just trying to sound like pop freaking, for sure. Like I realize Elvis. they weren't the they're best example, like, but like, no, but eventually they found their voice. Yeah. When, when like, they, they find were sounding their like voice, Elvis and Motown before yeah, that. Shit. Velvet Underground is totally its own thing. And like, you know, Lou Reed, it's like, he's, you He's, have better experience with them than I do. For I sure. love the Velvet yeah. Underground. Yeah, they do a fun mix of like this, like kind of it's like post psychedelic era rock and roll where it's still a little more fun. Um, like uh, what are they? The early seventies, late sixties. White light going. Um, yeah, that sounds right to me. Seventies, um, mostly seventies. Are I would they say. like? Aren't they like? kind of considered to be like the forefathers of punk rock in a way like definitely lead into punk rock because you can hear i think that's what he was talking about with the two divisions like if you were start with the the beatles and i I mean i don't 100 percent agree with his quote about the beatles and the velvet underground being like the two most important groups i don't know if he used the word important but he basically said that you can pretty much go in any direction today or from any artist today and go back and you can find connections to the Beatles and Velvet Underground. I definitely agree with the they Beatles. They sort of but sprout, yeah, it sort of sprouts out all yeah, these different... Yeah, I mean, it, I guess, I mean, I don't really, I'm not super familiar with the Velvet Underground, so I don't know how effectively I could debate that point, but, like, to me, I, I've never really considered the Velvet Underground to be, like, that important to, to music history. I mean, in terms of being, like, a top two band, 
in in influence but the Beatles yeah. for sure but yeah I mean it's making me kind of reconsider like his point of view on it is making me like think like shit maybe I should look up a little bit more about the Velvet Underground what's funny is you you know the Velvet Underground songs oh, like it's one of those it's one of those bands where it's like oh I haven't really checked them out and like when I started getting into them I think it was like late high school maybe like city college um I was like I know these songs and, and you really do um and uh yeah that I feel like they're a little because the Beatles obviously are extremely experimental. Um, in the end, in the, in the end, end yeah. when they get into the sitar and all the yeah. stuff and kind of more psychedelic. Um, but the Velvet Underground, I feel like what they do is they take that sort of like fifties rock and roll pop thing, and they take that sort of like experimental thing, and they kind of mash it together. Like, I know they were like a New York phenomenon, right? Were they New York? Uh, oh yeah don't quote me on that <laughs> it sounds right, All right um, I'm gonna look it up here I'll uh oh. but yeah I, I felt like they were in New York I know they had like this I know they had like this weird um connection with Andy Warhol too right Am I completely crossing wires here? Uh, they <laughs> I don't know if they hung out with him but they have a um they have like that Andy Warhol album. Oh cover. yeah, their album covers. Like yeah, Andy Warhol. but I, maybe they hung out. I I don't know. Um, Let's see where they're from. It doesn't. I don't know if the timing is. Yeah, is right. they're from uh, Manhattan. Oh yeah. Yeah, there you go. And uh, their that album, that Andy Warhol album, was released in 1967. So. Yeah, and one of their genres on Wikipedia is quote proto punk, which I think is. But do you hear how? Punk could kind of stem from... Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. It's respect. Kind of, it's kind of like this... Respect, Gold Star. I guess I guess you can kind of say that punk rock. And I mean, they, I'm sure there's other artists, too, because there's that... Uh, What's that guy? Uh, that dude, we just played his song. Um, it was like that Rumble song um, where it's like... Oh, we were listening to my fifties like, mix. What the hell is that guy's it's in, name? It's uh, in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, now, now, that, people say that that's like a, oh, that's like yeah. the forefather of punk rock. So I mean, oh, interesting. I think it's hilarious. Like you could always keep going far or well, further and further and further back, back in well, time. Well, Reed does that. And like, point- Denise said when she was just five years old, <laughs> he does this kind of like uh, like punk rock where you're just kind of oh, talking. Link yelling. Ray. Link Ray. Ooh, yes. good memory. Yeah, Link Ray. There we go. Down, and I can't remember the name of the song, though. It's kind of this, like... My my concussion CTE brain like an, is working it's like again. It's like acid beach sound, where it's yeah. like the Beach Boys, but slowed down. But and, it's so... And it's I mean, but boys. he was in the... I think he was in the early 60s or late yeah, 50s. He's, he's earlier. Like, he's earlier. He was... He apparently, I mean, like, obviously, we're no experts. We just remembered his name like, yeah. <laughs> like 10 seconds ago, but you know that like, song, yeah. But like, everyone knows that song, and to think that he was like, it was so different from uh, Dion or like, yeah, the Do Ron Ron, it was or edgy. The fuck. yeah, and, yeah, that's what Lou Reed did too. Anyway, just we, a little edgier version, and um, uh, yeah, like, definitely different from like the Beach Boys, and even the early Beatles were like. You know, like just, yeah. Uh, anyway, it, it's just interesting covering. to think about like how far back you can go to be like, no, this guy was the father of punk rock. No, this guy was the father of punk rock. And yeah. you can go back as far as you'd like, but I'm sure the Velvet Underground had like a few people who they were inspired by, you know? Well, and it's funny and when, when people too. talk about like the origins of any music, um, a lot of 
rock and roll obviously falls in with the blues. A lot of folk falls in with blues. Country falls in with folk. Like Hank Williams was doing like totally his own thing as well that kind of came out of the blues but also like formed into country. Hank Williams. Sort of like white man's blues. Yeah, you're, yeah, talking, about, you're like, talking about senior, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. I okay. don't say senior. I just say yeah, Hank no, Williams. No, no. I'm I, like the only one. I just think of, you know, I'm just such a fan of Hank Williams Jr. And But like there's so many of these blues musicians too and like musicians before that that like are probably it's like before we were recording these musicians and before we were like think about all the musicians that never got recorded that just played a live show inspired somebody else and then that person became you know lead belly or something like they they were seeing live performers play a type of music and they got a little bit of inspiration and well the craziest thing I, I, to think everybody's you know about to me is before there was any kind of like recording equipment mm-hmm. and this was not that long ago this was like a little over a hundred years ago there was right. like almost no recording equipment right. so the only way that you could possibly hear music is if one someone that you knew played music right. or two you went to see somebody play music and that was it there was oh, yeah you couldn't put on a record you no. couldn't do anything like that you're just like you're either so it was so music was just as important in the in you know your day-to-day economy as cooking was as you uh, know well, washing your clothes was you just yeah it's that fit which is incredible to me like even back to like um like uh you know uh vivaldi and like salieri and mozart and you all have these to go people see it live. like yeah that's why they were patrons so much is yeah. people well, that's were why you bro- could be a fucking working musician you were this wealthy motherfucker and you're like yeah i just hired mozart he's he's playing at my house every night this week so if you want to <laughs> come hang out with you me come Sam play. i'm rich enough <laughs> like i'm rich enough that i got Mozart playing every night at my house and that was fine because you can record Mozart like the best they could do is like write it down so right. other people who had skill could play it and like there's so many uh, like awesome well, so quotes like, so this is an interesting idea as a songwriter okay so we're songwriters and so is Gold Star where we're able to throw on our headphones and listen to the Velvet Underground, the Beatles, all day long and then go home and write music. And like, it's in our head so much more. And then you have somebody like, I'm going to keep using Lead Belly because he's yeah. older. And um, and it's like, he can go see live music. He can play live music with his friends. And then he's writing his own music. So he's hearing less of other people's music. So do you think that makes his songwriting wanna, more wanna, authentic? Or do you think that makes... So let me answer your it, question. It and then I want to talk about Lead Belly kind of, so bad. I know. It, so... Um, so what I think is people nowadays have never had a stronger access to music. Like oh, the yeah. fact that you're seeing these 12 year old kids shredding on guitar and they got their blues guitar faces going. It really irks me for some reason, but whatever they're doing, <laughs> they're, it. Like, I'm, they're doing it's, the I'm thing. Like, it's fine. I'm like, but, but this is why it irks me. And it doesn't irk me because I don't think their success is my detriment or anything like that. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but they are so privileged and as we all are now, but they're coming up with it. So they're so privileged that they have an entire ocean of music and yeah. inspiration to drive, draw from. Yeah. Not that and we they're did only before, listening but to the last so 10 years. Easy. They can go on their <laughs> laptop and type in YouTube and watch it's why, anything. It's they can why go I don't on Spotify get, and listen to anything. It's why I don't get when anything. people don't listen to anything past 10 or and 20 they, years ago. I'm like, please dig deeper. And There's they can, so much. And, we, and it's recorded yeah. and we have and access so to it. So not only can they do that, yeah. But then they can also look up how to play right. Voodoo Child. And then there's 
a hundred thousand fucking videos of some guy like right. here's and it's, blah, 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 and it's mm-hmm. all free and it's all there so the fact that there are these freaking phenoms coming up now these kids making these blues faces at like nine years old <laughs> i'm like no shit like no shit it's happening like it's bound to happen <laughs> with a few kids but let me talk about lead belly so did you know that lead belly had such a wealth of knowledge about the history of of american blues and gospel music before there was like recordings of it that they literally pardoned him for killing no. a dude so ah, he could go I didn't know about this <laughs> so he could like record all of this music yeah like they're wow. like we want to use you as like someone that we can basically be a curator and some an author or not an author uh, a performer so to speak but someone to record all of this music because if he didn't record it it would have been gone forever well it's fucking it's it's uh i want to say campfire music that's not the right word it's um it's this it's like it's american heritage music it, yeah it's like it's, a combination it, of like that was my visual is that they're like slave singing and like guitar playing and a little bit yeah. of gospel from like uh from so the songs were just passed yeah. down that yeah shit wasn't everything written was just down. passed down so well a lot of them you know they weren't being taught how to read and write it's, it's there's crazy. so much bullshit but in the way but literally fucking killed a guy and like it might have been his cousin i think he there was like a lover's quarrel or something and oh god i wish i knew how he did it i want if i had to wager i think he like poisoned him but i don't know oh, he might have maybe he broke a chair over his head i don't poison know. is usually the but, way that ladies but, kill <laughs> yeah but, but either way he was a big dude too he he was just like and uh anyway there's there's a bunch of videos well not a bunch i think there's definitely one i've never seen video a video of, of lead belly, belly. oh my gosh really yeah and uh I mean, it's not the, it's not, it doesn't really stand the test of time. The song that he's playing, it's Pick a Bale of Cotton, which is like kind of not the best. <laughs> not well, the it's best his song. song though. Like he can. Is, is it his song? Did he write it? It might be one of those. I don't know. Anyway, it's one of those is super it? like, uh, you know, anyway, I don't want to get too into it, but he, uh, well, f- he, he definitely inspired like a whole generation of blues players that were then recorded. You know, and then and also he like he inspired people like Mississippi John Hurt, who was just sitting there playing guitar like his whole life. And then all of a sudden, these white people knocked at his door, and he John thought it was like Hurt. the IRS or whatever, like coming to fucking. And they're shit like, up. "Are you Mississippi John Hurt?" And he's, and he's like, like, "Who oh, are shit. you?" Oh, no. They're like, "No, we want to put you in front of an audience." And then he got yeah. to play his "Good Morning Baby." I love Mississippi. His John coffee Hurt. blues is like my favorite song. He's, what are he, you doing this morning? He's just he I has just like got the most. The hair. He has like the most beautiful way of playing guitar with that. Uh, yeah, that, it's like uh, a finger picking. Yeah, I mean his thumb is jumping from the one to the five. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, he's and, keeping the rhythm. With, yeah, and yeah. and he's playing the the melody with like his index finger. Um, now I think they call it Travis picking, but I mean who knows what they were calling it back then? It right. was just the way they played. And then he was also singing in this like beautiful soft tenor like the whole time and. Oh. And uh, anyway. I throw on, I have one of his vinyls and it's just like um, Mississippi John Hurt. And it's called, I think it's called The Songster. The Songster. I think that was his nickname. I could be wrong, but I think that's what my vinyl's called. And uh, and it's got like 40 songs on it because all his songs are like like under two minutes. So it has like 20 on each side. It's yeah. real. it's like a beefy record. And uh and yeah, it's live. So he's like, uh, he's talking about like, uh, like before he plays Coffee Blues, he's like, oh, you got to get that good like 
whatever kind of coffee oh. like maxwell house or <laughs> yeah <laughs> is that that is that that album with like the brutally fake applause at the end of every song was like <laughs> oh is it not real See, no, there's fooled. one album. I don't know which one it is. But every single, it's like a lot of these blues albums had it where they like just played, they just played like fake applause at the end of every song. Oh, no, I don't. It sounds like a torrential I don't downpour. I think it's that. Every oh, time. that sounds terrible, oh, though. Yeah, okay. So funny, though. No, but he, he was always my like throw him on when I just need to like get my head right as far as like just, just mellow out and just kind of like. I've kind of he's faced my him zen. out these last five oh, years, and it bums he, me out. I should get re- back into him. Yeah. him. He's he's my zen. Yeah, he's um, yeah. But it, anyway, like these these dudes that found Mississippi John Hurt in like the mid '60s, I think maybe the late '60s when like that. Maybe actually, sorry, maybe it was the early to mid '60s when that folk revival was happening. They started seeking out all these like blues players from all over the place and they just started trying to hunt them down and then they'd show up and knock on their door and then record them and start playing them in front of people and uh, it was a really beautiful gesture in music history to like to save that form of the blues because without that there wouldn't have been anything because the best blues players back then were a bunch of random ass dudes who couldn't make who money playing the blues because and they weren't getting recorded yeah and they weren't getting recorded which is so heartbreaking to me is that all these voices like but if you went to their town they'd be not... like like if you went to like atlanta or something like that they'd be like oh blah 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 is the best we've ever heard and then they'd like kind of meander their way through yeah. towns until they found you know that guy and then yeah. they would so i just try to think of these old blues guys and try to just imagine how heartbreaking it is if like they never got the opportunity to record and we never got to hear him. That's, I mean, that's, that's any music, but blues is such a huge seed in American music of course, yeah. that it's like these guys, like um, my favorite is big bill Brunzi, uh, but there's like lightning Hopkins and lead belly and all those guys. It's like, if they didn't get, yeah, if they didn't get recorded, like I, I just can't imagine like any, any roots music. It's like, I, I I'm just, we have to be grateful for those recordings and wonder who were they hearing or who taught them to play the guitar. And like, remember that Christmas, in how jail far song back you does it go? Me? Like, what's his name? Something car, Leroy car, Leroy car. Like yeah, people Christmas like that were, I mean, I think, I, never I think they were contemporary. Them. I think they were contemporaries, but they were recorded um, more in their youth. Whereas these blues players, they weren't recorded in their twenties and thirties. They were recorded in their, 50s 60s and 70s yeah. even, you know so i i think that's kind of their contemporaries when they were young so to speak um yeah. i know ray charles started really early um and a lot of these guys did but anyway the younger dudes yeah. yeah anyway we're grateful for what we have but it's it's yeah. interesting to think about and you know to but to yes bring it- i do think songwriters and guitar players and every player nowadays has a distinct advantage well, they can listen. They can listen to yeah. So my my whole thing was it's like, who are the like? I I wonder if like with Lead Belly, it's like he was kind of pounding the pavement to hear other artists, and so I think a lot of his voice was really probably just coming out of himself. Well, it's also his in a memory lot of ways. is impeccable. Think about yeah. how many songs he like memorized because he memorized hundreds of songs, and it's not like he had YouTube to to pull from. He had. Right an uncle to pull from he had yeah. a guy down the street to pull from he well, had he a guy didn't have at a fucking church. computer screen yeah. to stare at all day like we do where it's so, like yeah that's another thing 
It's another advantage. We romanticize yeah. not having computers. Obviously, their technology is incredible in a lot of ways. But there's there's a lot of times when I, I had one and for it's, a week it's it's, and it's my miserable. own fault. It's like I um I got my phone repaired today. I didn't have it for like an hour and a half, and I was like, oh, this oh is, my god. No, I was like, this is nice. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is this is nice not having this thing um, on me. Um, these screens were just you know kind of plagued by them, and it's I, I I always wonder, you know, we've talked about this before, and I think we're just romanticizing the pre technology era. But I'm like, God, if I didn't have a phone and a computer to stare at, would I just play it? Would I play guitar more? I hope I would, or or it's my own demons, and I have to like kind of you would shut definitely it off be doing and, something though, like because you'd be doing something more, right? So what are your top five activities that don't involve? technology or screen time or whatever you want to um cooking so, all right so no no <laughs> honestly yeah, yeah i love cooking too cooking. cooking um i guess uh talking to people um in any sense work school you guys you and tom and then uh i uh when it's sunny out i run and then when it's uh when i'm feeling moved which is rarely lately but i, I have to kind of force it is uh painting all right so, so you, i hope i hope so that, got, oh, and sorry so reading music reading working out chatting and cooking which yes. is and a not lot of reading that far off. Yeah. So for me, it would probably be you know music. Obviously, right. is one. Um, and then I do enjoy working out. It gives me right. a great sense of calm. And like if I'm feeling aggravated or frustrated, it helps to kind of get that out. And also yeah. playing sports is kind of like in exercise. There too. Any any get moving your body around and like getting it's it puts your brain in a place that nothing else can. Yeah, and I love I love you know endorphins are cooking are great. as well. Cooking is, That's one of my favorite things cooking. to do. Yes, and we're we gonna, both do. We're gonna cook some tacos later. It's gonna be yes, great. And, I'm excited. Uh, I guess I mean I I've never loved reading, which sounds super ignorant, but it, it's always it, it doesn't. Some people it get a little restless with it, yeah. which I get because I used to be that way, and then I realized I was reading the wrong books. Yeah. And I and I found books that I actually wanted well, to read. Well, that freaking Ted Bundy book I flew through. Dude, if you and find a book maybe. that you're... It doesn't... And like I used to be more like, oh, I have to read Hemingway and all this shit that I didn't really want to read. And then I got into like... Bukowski was probably my first... And people give him a lot of shit. But he's probably my first author that I just like re read a book in a day. And I was like, that was so easy and fun. I, I didn't think that I was reading. I'm not like, okay, I'm 50 pages in. This is a 200 page book. Like... All right, like you know, like when you feel yeah. that when you're like reading like a book that you feel like you have to read, yeah. like fucking I don't know Tolstoy. Like, what do we read where we're like, I this, I I recognize this is great, yeah. but I can't pull anything. By the out way, of this. I just realized there are a lot of other hurdles that. So we talked about <laughs> like we were talking about like Lead Belly, like all he had to do was play guitar, right? <laughs> like, well, no, he had to like walk an hour to like probably get water for no, his that's, household. That's not what I like, meant. One I mean, he no. probably had. You know what I mean? He that had wasn't to, like, my clean his clothes that for like wasn't three hours. Necessarily my point though. My, churn my butter, point was more like, about whatever the fuck they do. my point was more about the music he was hearing. He was hearing a lot less other people's music, so I no, feel that's like a great his point. music that's a great came point. through more. As I think it was the last us. point that got us into our top five shit we would be no, doing. No, I'm not talking about screens. Lead Belly as far as screens. I'm talking about even like just the 60s and 70s. They didn't really have screens, mm. and they're not having to. You well, know. they had the perfect mix because they like didn't have screens to fuck yeah, them they over. Have toilets and shit. They don't need it. Like, well, they had radio and like some bullshit TV, that, but they also had like. You know, lights War. and running water <laughs> no, and didn't. toilets that worked and like, yeah. you know, grocery stores and refrigeration. Yeah, so I feel like I have this romantic, shit. you know, idea that maybe that, you know, if we didn't have all this, ugh, 
Social anyway, let's try to shit. marry this sixty shit. So <laughs> with Gold Star, oh, I think that Gold Star. I think that Gold Star. Um, he says he got his name kind of from this old record studio called Gold Star Studios. It came from the name of this one guy, Something Gold, and this other guy whose name wasn't Star, but Is it, it was like, like Lieber and Stoller, where it's like their yeah, two names. It was similar, but together. not quite. It, yeah, yeah, it was two names put together, but Star right. was like. His name was like Stan something or other, but they took the N out and like added the R from the last. Anyway, oh, it was Gold, Gold Star. Star. A good, yeah. Yeah. Gold Star Studios. And like. And Marlon. A whole grip of people recorded there, like Jimi Hendrix, the Beach Boys, like. Uh, and this is where we were talking about Phil Spector cut his right. teeth here. He was like basically. Wall of sound. Like picture an intern. And that was Phil Spector. And then finally he got the trust to start recording there more and more and more. And that's when he started recording, you know, a little bit of pet sounds and. Yeah. And all this other crap. But anyway. I, and uh, yeah, so Marlon. Uh, yeah. When people ask him why he named his solo project Gold Star, uh, he, he references that studio. And he, he's like, so he's born in Austria at age four came to uh, LA and it, he's like, he calls himself a Hollywood kid. So he was yeah. in that neighborhood, which is kind of a bizarre neighborhood well, to grow up in. they all have the gold stars on all the fucking gra- on the ground everywhere. Well, that's true too. Yeah. But he said he was fascinated because that, that recording studio gold star was, he said blocks from his house that he grew up in. Well, so it was kind of, and, it, and it's gone now. It's, it's kind of bullshit because it burned down. So like when I saw him do that interview, I was like, oh shit, that studio, he must be walking around that studio. And then like I read the Wikipedia page about it and I'm like, oh wait, it burned down like 30 well, years I think, ago. I think he kind of has a little bit of There's a... There's a super bullshit web, <laughs> website for that studio. <laughs> if you go, it's like the all, gold, it's gold all black and then it has like a few like neon, like green, like sentences like, send us your memories of Gold Star and like some click, like copy paste photos of like people in gold star. it's like the most bullshit huh. website of all time hmm. and then there's like hundred dollars yeah legendary jackets. studio that's no longer there brian wilson was there he, he says i like that it's from hollywood and i'm from hollywood oh, and it's that. open okay. from on interpretation yeah he's he's just kind of making a, a local connection to himself which i which i think is I got interesting super confused because he also referenced valentine studios i think that's so he recorded big blue i don't know where he recorded the first album but yeah. big blue he recorded in his house that he calls yeah. big blue and then i think uppers and downers is at valentine so i read valentine's wikipedia as well oh and apparently it closed down 30 years ago so i'm like is, did it that really close right. down 30 years ago uh, and um i that's what it said on the website um it keep it anyway i i don't know exactly where he recorded the album so basically all we got from this is he got his name gold star from this old yeah. burnstown studio he was mentioning valentine we think that he recorded uppers and downers there but we're not 100 percent convinced because i saw that it closed um years and years ago and it was only open to like friends and stuff so maybe he's one of those yeah. lucky few well, to get in there but I think he's really fascinated with L.A. history um, yeah. because he actually references Bukowski, who lived in L.A. and mm. wrote about it for a long time. And then um, Phil Spector lived in L.A. Uh, Raymond Chandler, who I have not read, but I think he's an author not familiar. from L.A. And uh, and he's so he's sort of fascinated with the history of and, and he's I mean, that's his hometown. L.A. is his hometown. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think Gold Star was sort of maybe like a myth when he grew up, this sort of myth of this recording studio with Phil Spector yeah. and that, that sort of like a well, something he attached of, to. A and, bunch of like, I mean, pretty much anyone who recorded with Phil Spector in that era with the with the wall of sound, um, 
they like pretty much everyone recorded there so yeah i mean buffalo springfield i think was one of them not i'm not sure if they recorded with phil but they uh yeah they recorded they i think they recorded i mean they're an la band for sure everyone thinks that that song's about vietnam something happening but it's actually about like apparently it's actually about like this uprising in los angeles with like all these teens that were like trying to have some kind of uprising and like the cops were showing up and they weren't about it. <laughs> so that's what they said. And then okay. it became like a theme song for Vietnam, but that's not what it was written about. Well, and that's funny because I mean, we've talked about this before. It's like when you, when you sit and I, I try to imagine, I'm sure artists do are able to sit down and say, I want to write a song about the war and write this amazing song. But I don't think that's always how a great song is written. I think it's a little less direct than that. I think you write a song and maybe it, maybe it is sort of uh, the voice of the generation and it becomes that, but I I can't imagine Buffalo Springfield sitting down and saying, we're going to write a song about (laughs) Vietnam. You know, like I just, I don't, I don't think that that's how it, played out i believe i I was listening to some radio show and they were talking about buffalo springfield song for what it's worth and apparently they were at like this the situation with a bunch of kids hanging out probably doing drugs what it is ain't exactly clear and then uh, there's yeah. a man with- <laughs> and then all of a sudden like this yeah. overzealous like police officer group like shows up and like stop hey what's that sound everyone yeah, like, gonna... fucks, fucks it up for yeah. everyone basically so and they then, and then, went home and wrote a be... song about that and that's an authentic it way became, to write a song right and that became a big and that was his personal experience and that became a metaphor for the times and that author, makes sense yeah then some author some was like he said journalist wrote is like god vietnam. damn it this is vietnam <laughs> and well but they it, and know, that's, everyone well, that's, What's fun about music is yeah. it is and, and somebody Forrest Gump during the you know fucking flyover scene or whatever. Oh anyway, yeah, I mean Forrest Gump. People talk shit about that movie, but they had a fucking great soundtrack. People talk shit about that movie, dude. People definitely talk shit about. It. Well, it won oh. the Oscar over Pulp Fiction, so like, dude, that year was little, tricky. That wasn't Shawshank up too. I think. I think it. I think ooh, so. I feel like it was like Shawshank, so. Pulp Fiction, and I've looked this up and been like, why didn't anyway, fucking yeah, Shawshank Forrest win? Gump for sure shouldn't have yeah. won that year, but to pretend like it was like. To pretend like it wasn't a good movie, that's like, I don't know, that's like talking about like three like great quarterbacks and only two get to make the Pro Bowl. And you're like, well, the third one was really fucking good in hindsight. And Dude, you're like, well, well, also Shawshank was know. a sleeper. Shawshank did yeah. not rock the box offices. It's probably, I don't think Pulp Shawshank really is did either. probably actually my third favorite out of those three, to be completely honest. Uh, I love Forrest Gump. Growing up, Shawshank I love that Shawshank is movie. up there for me. And I love Pulp Fiction, though. So that, so Pulp Fiction, obviously. That's the first is, time I heard Son of a Preacher Man, hands down, was oh, in yeah. Pulp Fiction. There's she puts great, it on the radio, yeah. Dude, another great song um, from uh, <laughs> fucking Spirit in the Sky, Norman Greenbond from Spirit that other John Travolta movie, oh, uh, Michael, Michael, where he does he does like this little dancing thing because John Travolta always does like this little. Dancing I would like thing. to watch that movie again because I I can't I'm not imagine sure it's, it's good. Great. I'm not sure it's great. <laughs> I don't think it's good. It's but a I remember this premise. like dancing scene he has where he's dancing to Spirit yeah, in, in the, the Sky. Yeah, in the bar with these two women. Yeah, and, and that's um, like one of my favorite songs. That electric guitar. You know, don't at me. It's the greatest guitar tone of all time. It's that one song in. Badass. Yeah, Norman Greenbaum. You told me like 20 years ago, a long time ago, when we were like. Preteens, you were like, 
play that song at my funeral and I still remember that. <laughs> maybe you will. Sky, yeah, maybe. Dude, I'm gonna go I would want my funeral to be like a happy thing Dude, yeah, rather than like a sad thing. That's I don't a, know. I want it to be like a celebration rather than like I still a, hear that song and I get I get excited. It's a, it's a good it's a celebration. For my death yeah. is what you're saying. Yes, that's what I get excited for. I'm like god. I Dude, just let's, can't we've been wait. so distracted. Let's get back into it. <laughs> We gotta um, get back into are we going to do uh, Get Down My Devil? Is that the next one? We're going to do that, and then we're also going right. to do the San Francisco song, so it's up okay, to you. Okay, cool. Let's do Get Down My Devil. Um, I think it. this one has a really fucking awesome, like, Americana stomp feel yeah. to it. Like, just, it reminds me of uh, Shuffle Your Feet uh, the How- and the Howl album overall by Black Rebel Motorcycle yes. Club. Like, that's what this specific song reminds and me of. And he's referenced tom waits before no. um in his my guy yeah in one yeah in one of his interviews he references tom waits so he he's definitely a tom waits uh a guy as well yeah and so the lyrics are a little more in that kind of realm yeah so yeah it reminds me of howl by black rebel motorcycle club but i mean there's a reason why i love that album and there's a reason why i love this song it it has that great you know kind of straight for americana feel um yeah Anyway, uh, let's just get into it. It's getting, it's, it's on, called, well, uh, so this is fun. Cause this is, um, so we're going back even further. We've been going backwards. Days, yeah. yeah. So we played, uh, we played a 2018 song of his and then 2017 and now this is going to be 2015 yeah. and this is his first. So he, I think the timeline that I understand that is that he was in that punk band and then he, uh, played like some solo shows and I think it was, uh. Lucinda Williams saw him play solo and like cried and wanted him to open for her. Uh, so he went on tour with Lucinda and then he sort of started going solo. That's we've been talking about Lucinda a lot. Well, yeah, because <laughs> in Ash covers her, yeah. we covered her last time, and, yeah. and so that's that's pure coincidence, by the way. Like I was yeah. reading and I was like, "What, Lucinda Williams? Okay, she yeah. must just be hanging out in L.A. a lot." Um, and then so his album Dark Days. Uh, is uh, I think his first full length solo album because he did have like a self titled sort of Gold Star has how many songs in it six so that's maybe an EP um, but yeah so this is a, a song off Dark Days it's towards the end and uh, I think it's one of the standouts um, yeah. it's definitely a very acoustic guitar um, harmonica album yeah, it has which is great, mostly him yeah yeah it has like some great arpeggiated like guitar chords that are kind of in the I, I don't want to call it country and western, but it's definitely in that kind of western uh, genre, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of like that cowboy. Yeah. Like kind of feel. Yeah. But uh, it's called Get, uh, Get Down My Devil, and it's off Dark Days, uh, his 2015 full-length album.
so that song to me just like screams howl black rebel motorcycle club yeah he has like a little bit of uh black rebel motorcycle club like vibe throughout his albums but he's a little bit um he's not as intense as them they're like really like drop d and like heavy and like kind of down, he, down. he also kind of focuses more he sounds like a like a solo artist in this album yeah. as far as instrumentation where it's it's more uh focused on on him but yeah sorry, but he's got that heavy drum on there about too. the album howl um that's one of my favorite albums of all time and it's like one of the albums that helped get me into like the genre and the vein of music that I'm playing now and enjoying now and finding artists like Gold Star. Yeah. Or well you found Gold Star, but you know what I'm talking about. Like getting into artists like Gold Star is like it all kind of stemmed from Tom Waits, but also Howl by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. So yeah. I, it's kind of a, it's a compliment for me to say that a song reminds me of Howl because even Black Rebel Motorcycle Club like couldn't replicate Howl. They never could. Like that was they did Howl and then everything after that is like not quite the same as it that. was just one of those magic albums. And uh, we've addressed these sort of uh, I felt that way about the last artist we did was Floodlights. I feel this way about Big Blue um, where it's uh, Nashville Skyline. I constantly um, yeah. uh, mentioning um M Ward's uh, post war, post war. Thank you. Um, it's like it's almost like an artist comes to a certain point and they write this album and it's like everything's perfect. The musicians they bring in are perfect. The songs that they've created for this batch of songs is perfect. And like where they're at musically as far as their voice and their instrumentation and their level of like uh, playing and instrumentation is is so perfect where it comes together in this perfect little match and then you get this perfect album. Yep. And like if an artist gets fucking one of those, like that's a blessing. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um, so, yeah. I I have one uh I have one uh quote on songwriting I wanted to say of yeah, his and then it. we'll we'll do talk it. on some yeah because like I I feel like a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is songwriting and we tend if we get the opportunity to ask artists about songwriting we do because I'm always fascinated by how uh people think of it and how they do it and and most of these really amazing most of like the best songwriters i've we've covered are like the humblest they're like oh i don't really you know their quotes about it are like i, I don't know um and and he takes a, a similar approach uh marlon does with gold star um where he said he said uh earlier i quoted him as saying like i i approach it differently every time you know i i, I have to kind of you kind of start from scratch every time. Well, right? no, yeah, you said that earlier. You're yeah. talking about um, how he's how everything's a puzzle and a riddle. Yeah, everything's a new puzzle. A new it's riddle. almost like every song is like a new thing. It's like you don't have this fucking generic, you know, cookie cutter way of writing a song. Um, but he also says about songwriting, um, uh, music is sacred. Uh, I try to write constantly every day. The good songs aren't the ones you set out to write. You have to be ready for it, though. Sometimes you have an idea, and it's working itself out somewhere inside of you. As a songwriter, I try to be observant. I try to tell stories of things that have happened to me and my friends. That's the thing about music. Just because it's a song about heartbreak doesn't mean you have to feel sad. And, I mean, we, we've touched on these things before, but it's 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 just so such a warm feeling to hear the songwriter that you admire so much say something like, you know, the good songs aren't the songs you set out to write. And it, 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 it's really inspiring, um, to think that like, yeah, it shouldn't be so much about Setting trying to out, write it. Yeah. yeah. It's never about trying to write a great song because that's inauthentic. Um, it's, uh, and it, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's natural and it's, it's inside of you and it works itself out. And no, yeah, I, totally, I, I like yeah, all I totally of that. agree with that. I mean, yeah. 
I try never to. Usually I'll have an idea that's itching at my brain, and that's when I go to pick up a guitar. I'll sing. I'll try to sing the me- melody kind of like unadulterated by the guitar chords because if I try to... So first I'll record the melody so I don't lose it because sometimes when I start to introduce guitar chords, yeah, it'll alter the melody. And so that's why... That's an interesting way to think yeah, about so it. Yeah, so that's why I try to get the purity of just the vocal melody first because that was the original seed, it's right? It's funny because that's how I write, but I didn't think that's the always the way that you wrote because you have so much more knowledge of guitar. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like sometimes to... I'll write a really cool riff that I really like and then right. kind of mold a melody around it. But well, like, I, like we said before, it's always a different way. Yeah, I think the... the I'm always writing a different way. It's, it's always a different Yeah. Anyway, there, I think sometimes there are it's different verse, ways to approach it and as long as there are different ways to approach it um, and you have a lot of different strategies, you'll be more successful. You'll have the ability to write more tunes because then you're not just uh, stripped down to the one way to do it. And then uh, one last thing uh, on Gold Star, and then I think we're going to start wrapping it up. But um, he does say, uh, he talks about, one thing that I love about uh, the idea of music and any form of art is that it's not selfish it's it's uh it's communicating feelings to other people that they can relate to right to really break it down it's like creating something that other people can sort of see as sort of this uh vehicle for like an emotional and they can relate to that um so he says um uh it's as an artist it's our job to be a good communicator to be a conduit and that's that's what we are in many ways. That's enough. It may seem like a small personal victory, but I think it's bigger than that. Um, if you can channel something tangible and communicate that it will reach other people. Um, uh, there's already a humanity, a humanity to us all that connects us. And it's, it's interesting to think of, I just like thinking about music that way because it makes, it makes, it's not that you want to feel important as a musician or you want to feel like, a big ego about it but it's it's fun to think about like look we're already connected already so to to create music about a feeling and then play it for people that go hey i've had that feeling like it's 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 really what it's all it's about a resonance and, and yeah it's you know, just a gorgeous certain, way to think of it there's certain wavelengths that rev- resonate between you know between two individuals between uh societies between communities right like heartbreak is something that resonates because right. people have felt that before so if you nail that like right on the head then people are going to feel that and people are going to oh my god people yeah. are going to want to listen to your music and people are going to want to listen to you and when you're out there just spouting bullshit like you're inauthentic <laughs> and people like aren't going to want to listen to you it's the same thing as like an orator or like a professor or someone like that like if they're speaking truth and it's resonating with you right you're going to want to listen to it more and if if it's inauthentic and it's something that's like maybe people are like wait what the fuck is he talking about like well and and that's the thing is you don't when you're when you're writing music or you're or you're giving a speech like a professor you're not necessarily going i'm going to try to relate to people you don't do that you just speak from the heart and people relate to that because they also have had those feelings you know bukowski has a great quote and i'm not looking at the quote so i'm probably going to butcher it but he says something along the lines of like we're all going to die all of us um, it's a circus. We should all, it should connect us all, but it doesn't. 
and it, it's 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 just those little humbling things where you're just like yeah we're all in this boat together you know mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all we every single person on this planet will be dead in like a hundred years and you think it would connect us in a way where it's like hey we're all here right now let's you know you know honestly there's like a music. lot of people just fucking floundering out there with <laughs> zero like zero purpose they have zero connection yeah. to to other people and it's I just and want people to connect. it's a really demoralizing yeah. thing because I feel, you know, we all kind of feel that way occasionally where we're like feeling inadequate or we feel like we're not connecting or that we feel like no one's getting bullshit, us. Yeah. Feel like no one's getting us, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't matter the size of the audience that's getting you. It's, it's the quality of the people who are getting you. So I, I hope that that at and least... And I, I genuinely, you know, with Gold Star, I... I I, it's wonderful to read his uh, his words as he interviews, and he's also very like we watch his videos. He's very shy. Yeah, he's clearly definitely. one of those musicians that's like making music because they they have to make it. They're itching to play yeah, music. Yeah, I mean, he said he wrote hundreds of songs. I'm like, well, I've been writing for allegedly three times as long as you and I'm not like I think he's been writing music yeah, for a long I, I time I think he's been writing but, music for a long time too but but he's it's like I haven't written he need, he's one of those people that, songs, you know? that needs crazy. to do it and uh, and it's not it's not for it's definitely not for any type of glory he just really needs to write songs and he's getting them out here and when you see him interviewed he's clearly like a little almost like uncomfortable being interviewed he's just like he's very shy mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's kind of a true artist in, in a lot of ways um but yeah, I, I think that he does this beautiful job of what he was sort of saying. It's like, you're not, you know, you're, we're all connected to this way of humanity. And if you write really raw and really honestly, um, people will connect with it as scary as it is. It's fucking scary. It's like, you know, it's, it's the scariest thing you can do. It's the most vulnerable thing you can do, but that's how you really start to connect. Well, like imagine when you that, break down those walls. Imagine really that connect. in any other setting. Like oh, imagine setting, going on a works. first date with someone and they're just like raw stripped down. They're like, yeah, man, my mom totally committed suicide when I was like 12 and uh, I did heroin like for three years and it was fucked up, but here I am. And, and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I like know. with I don't a know why. Uh, it's just the way society is like people don't want to put that out originally you know and i don't blame them necessarily like it's their deepest darkest secrets but as like a songwriter you have to put that truth out there you can't put on a front like you do when you're dating or when you're well you can um, tell when those albums start to come out with polite quote polite society or you're at work you know it's like a polite song no one wants to hear a fucking polite pop song it's some boring shit Let's uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Radio Keys news is pretty quick and quiet for for this week. We uh, we basically have a show next Saturday, right? The, yeah, the January twenty sixth. Yeah, January twenty sixth, next Saturday at um at the Fireside Lounge in Alameda. We're playing right. with our friend Roxy Rawson and our friends in Northerner. Who so, used to be my neighbors? Little yeah, they live like right neighbors. below you. No, yeah. right next to me. Oh, right next. That's yeah, right. We they did live wall. below you. Well, he Wasn't he there was another a, musician that lived below you. Uh, yeah, but Johan lived next to us, and Tom would play bass in this little closet that we had as like a walk-in closet, and then Johan would also play bass in the closet that mirrors that closet, and they share a wall. Oh, and they hear then each other they, playing bass. Yeah, when they ran into each other, Johan was like 
do you play bass dude and he was like yeah i play bass and he's like i play bass and i think i'm hearing you play bass through the wall anyway so so he's our old uh, neighbor uh neighbor awesome. from berkeley yeah he still lives there so yeah it's a it's a inexpensive show i think it's like five bucks or something yeah. it's in, uh the the isle of alameda and it's an yes. awesome it's little an island. awesome little strip of the town and uh right hopefully our oakland slash east bay friends will meet us out there and have a it's have a have a couple pints with us or something yeah. that'd be great it's gonna be fun it's gonna start to warm up here we're we're still in the kind of dreg drudges dregs god i'm bad at english Uh, of january where it's gray and i think the dregs of society are like the outcasts and (laughs) like the for sure (laughs) uh the riffraff but anyway um so we're still kind of in like winter right now and it's kind of sad and cold and dark all the time but you know by late uh february uh we are playing um Lagunitas in Petaluma and it's going to be a sunny Sunday and it's going to be warmer. God, I hope so. Yeah, it will be. And we're playing the Starry Plow. We're, we have some exciting uh, gigs lined up in And we're also going to have a radio uh, show announcement Ooh, coming up soon. So maybe. We're going yeah, we'll to be on the old on the... radio pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, we're coming out of our hiding and our hibernation. Yeah. I hope you guys are all we're, doing uh, that too. We're still, <laughs> we're still finishing up the acoustic album. We have to get this Pro Tools nonsense figured out before we finish it. We're going to do it, got it We've got it like such on a bare bones level where we can record podcasts and we're like still trying to get all of the technology back where we were like using this awesome gear to record and basically we're not using that now but we can use it for our recording uh, our music recording so we're still working on that um but yeah for me i'm just going to santa barbara for about a week and i'm pretty stoked about yeah, that yeah i like yeah. that i like that um be a fun time see yeah. all my old old pals I'll be I'll be home alone for a couple of days, probably oh probably doing some uh, some nice songwriting and just kind of getting back into my own headspace, which is nice. I like solitude. Yeah. I it's uh, one of my favorite Billie Holiday songs. In my solitude. Anyway, uh, of course, thank you, uh, thank you, Gold Star Marlin. Really appreciate if you're listening to this. Really appreciate um, the opportunity to play your music in our podcast. Like yeah. it's it's one thing to talk about you as an artist and to talk about everyone we do as an artist, and then it's another thing to be able to show them. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like a picture is worth a thousand words, like a song yeah. is worth, you know, um, I don't know, a whole fucking podcast, <laughs> whatever yeah. you want to say. Like, so I really, we really appreciate um, the fact that we can uh, play your, your tunes and, and all that. So thanks again for that. Hopefully it will catch you next time you're in the Bay Area. Um, so yeah. I think yeah. he's going on a European tour actually here pretty soon. <laughs> um, or maybe he he already did it. Uh, all it was, of I our think, late European listeners will go. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. he's all over. Um, so the last song we're gonna play is called uh, is one of Stuart's favorites, and it's uh, off Big Blue. It's his um, the 2017 album, and it's uh, it's called um, Close to Our Hearts, Bay Area. It's called San Francisco Good Times. Yeah, and I'm Stuart, and this is my sister Emily here, Hi. and we're Radio Keys, Radio and Keys. Uh, we're gonna keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul. soul.